Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. And if you made it out to our event last weekend, I want to thank you because it was great to see you in person. And I know it takes a lot to prioritize and travel to these meetings. And we had people from all over uh, as usual. And it's uh, it really is very, very meaningful to meet up as a group uh, with a bunch of people of like mind. And if you were there, I'm guessing you were not disappointed. You know, we had a few familiar faces in the morning talking about taxes and asset protection. And, you know, there was also some great presentations that were new material around asset allocation um, from a, uh, a guy who's managed billions of dollars uh, in, a foreign, uh, in a sovereign wealth fund. Uh, we also talked about the economy. We also talked about Bitcoin mining and strategies to actually get in there and make a lot more money potentially. Uh, but what I think really blew people's minds, honestly, were the talks on longevity by Dr. John Foley and Dr. Rob Hamilton. Um, these guys are part of our community, and it's absolutely stunning to see how smart some of you are. Like John and Rob just blew everybody away. I did a talk too, but it was kind of like kind of dumb, a dumbed down version of what they did because they're they're smarter than I am. But, you know, I think people got a lot out of this and it's something we're going to continue to do more often for sure, given the, the response we've gotten thus far from this meeting. And I encourage you to make it uh, next time we do something like that. Uh, these meetings are also great uh, in that I get to see what others are doing, right? I'm in a bubble sometimes in Montecito behind my computer screen talking to you and there's nothing better than actually going out and have you be able to interact with me because usually I'm just the one in your ear when you're driving or running or whatever you're doing. Um, and what's really fun for me to you know learn is that there are these people in our community who are just doing amazing things. I'm not you know beyond the medical stuff that John and Rob did, but also you know in investing. And it's even more fun, frankly, to me because it you know gives me a little uh, meaning to my life is that that I've made a, a difference for someone. Uh, and that is very fun to hear. And I love to hear it. So thank you for those of you who came up to me and, and mentioned something about that. One of the people who was supposed to show was Dr. Irene Lamberis. And, and uh, Irene was supposed to come to the meeting. It was, I was kind of excited to meet her because I interviewed her for this podcast, but she ended up having to do what sometimes doctors have to do and then put on her doctor hat and miss 
uh, missed something that she was uh, excited about. So that's too bad. But uh, she has a great story. And if you are up for hearing about how a young female physician is kicking ass in the investor space and just really a great example of somebody who's taken their personal finances into their own hands, you are going to want to listen to this interview with Dr. Irene Lamberis when we come back from these messages. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Dr. Irene Lambris. She is uh, an internal medicine specialist in Henderson, Nevada, although now she is only part-time and she is a full-time real estate investor. She's been all over and you know, you've probably heard her on other podcasts, but a uh, very interesting story. And she's got you know, lots of uh, years of investing experience and all sorts of interesting strategies. So I want to make sure we got you on the show. Irene, thanks for joining us. Oh, Buck, thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Great. So, um, so tell me a little bit about, tell us about your journey, right? Like, I mean, I have my story where I had no idea, you know, anything about business or real estate and stuff until I read a purple book, you know? <laughs> yeah, we all read that purple book. We love that yeah. purple book. Um, yeah. I mean, I, well, my story is I was born in New York. My parents came from Greece. So they were, they were immigrants and uh, they had their own businesses and, and they purchased real estate back in the eighties when interest rates were like 18%, I don't know, something crazy yeah. like so zero down high interest. And they just bought a lot of different buildings. Sure. Um, I was the oldest of three. So I was, you know, in charge of helping my parents with the renters and all of that. Oh, wow. so it was like growing up, you know, and uh, then I just decided to become a doctor, <laughs> not do real <laughs> estate. Um, and as I was going through med school, helping my parents, realizing they retired around age 50 from, from work and because of real estate. And I felt like, wow, if, you know, I saw a lot of people who maybe were not as, you know, were more educated than my parents, maybe born in the U.S. that were yeah. still struggling and working, especially patients where, you know, they're, they're alone, they don't have any money, they're living in retirement homes. It just started to feel like, no, this, this is, you know, pivotal now, like real estate, I think is the key to wealth. And so I started buying right after I finished um, 
med school during residency, I started buying a lot of single family homes. So I had about a dozen homes over a decade that I bought, fixed, flipped, lived in, rented, sold, Airbnb, all of that. And then in 2020, um, I was furloughed from a couple of my hospital jobs and I felt, you know what, uh, time to really get serious about uh, investing full time. And then I switched hats and went into full time real estate investing. So. Right. Well, that's that's uh, interesting. So in terms of real estate, um, you, you mentioned you had a, a single family portfolio that was pretty significant. How did that go? And is that still part of you know what you're doing today in real estate? Yeah, I mean, um, so I had I like I basically had vanilla homes. I had homes that I would live in, three bedroom, three bathrooms near hospitals or schools. Mm-hmm. So like anywhere I would live, that's that was my strategy. I was I at that time single woman. I wanted a safe place, you yeah. know. Um, and so I would live in the property and then I would purchase another property within a couple of years and rent the original property. And so I would I would not pay the capital gains, you know, sure. with the tax loss. Sure. So after a while, I felt like it was just not scalable for me. I didn't want to manage all of that. Um, I was doing a lot through Zelle and, you know, I, I had, I was really lucky. I had great tenants. Most of the time they, I didn't really have any issues, but it wasn't scalable. So I, during COVID, I sold the entire portfolio uh, and I purchased uh, a triple net properties like dollar generals, family dollars, gas stations, things that would be like 20 year leases, 15 year leases. And uh, during 2020, 2021, I had really great interest rates at that time. So I don't know if anyone was purchasing at that time. So cash flow was great, return on investment was great. And I still felt that syndications were also great because there's just so little that you need to do with these types of investments. Um, and, and they're scalable, right? You can invest as much as you want. You can buy as much as you want. And then eventually your assets are buying assets, like the cash flow from those assets are, you know, creating more assets for you. Yeah. You know, um, and I think your journey is actually pretty common uh, from what I've heard with people who have you know, make a little bit more money, um, physicians and stuff who, you know, we all have our moment, um, in this space where we're like, Oh, wow. You know, I just buy a bunch of stuff and then cash flow starts happening. And, you know, and the next thing you know, it replaces my, um, you know, my day job and, and I'm off to the races, but then you realize somewhere along the lines that yes, but there's easier and harder ways to do that. And I think single family homes, are, um, are challenging, because as you mentioned, like, you know, you have got lucky with tenants. I mean, I, we have investors in our group who have like murders (laughs) and things like that. That's right. Uh, Tim, that one was for you, by the way. Uh, (laughs) And, and uh, you know, and, and so being able to, you know, either do that versus multifamily and then multifamily is tricky because, you know, you got to buy something, um, you know, buy something that you are, interested in potentially managing and all that stuff. And it gets tricky in it. And you raise a good point for a lot of people in medicine uh, or busy people. I think they ultimately end up falling on the real estate syndication side of things because of that. But you, what got you interested in particular in um, triple net? 
Um, I just ran. Well, why don't you first tell tell everybody what triple net is, just in case people don't know what that is. Uh, triple net investing is when you purchase a property and the tenant is responsible for the property taxes, the improvements, um, the utilities, the maintenance, and you're basically just purchasing the property. And and most of my tenants are. Uh, you know, Fortune 500 companies like Dollar General, Family Dollar, you know. Um, so so the triple net investing is a lot easier than purchasing single family homes as an investor. First of all, the bank is looking at the uh, the tenant and the tenant's finances, yeah. you know, more importantly than yours. And so, you know, if you're a busy doctor and you're doing things and you have the cash to buy it, you don't really necessarily have to prove your financial prowess just, you know, when, when you're doing it for single family. I mean, I feel like they want everything from you at that point, you know, yeah. for a triple net, it's mostly the tenants uh, finances that they're looking at. So um, I just, yeah, I did the numbers and, you know, I was um, it was like over a 10% return. Some of my investments are 11%, 10%. And I felt when I was looking for multifamilies, because that's truly my first love, my parents had multifamilies, all of that. Uh, I just, I weighed, you know, the fact of having multifamily, putting money into it, getting a property manager, uh, scaling it, possibly renovating it, selling it in five years. And it just felt, you know, time versus ease for me at the time, the triple nets were made more sense, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and then as you free up your time, you know, uh, and you don't really need to be doing your day job per se, then maybe you want to do a multifamily and then you could fly to the property and hire and kind of you know, do that if you're interested in like owning something like that. Um, mm. Syndication is similar. You still, you know, a lot of syndicators are paying like 9% returns monthly. You don't have to worry about anything. Uh, you're still getting the tax deductions, just a little less control over mm. the sale of the property. Yeah. And so for, for the triple net property, I felt, um, you know, this was easy and I could sell it in seven years, 10 years, four years, two years. One of my properties went up so much in value. I sold it after like one year and then mm -hmm. I, I flipped it into another, um, sure. I flipped it into a syndication. Yeah. So, you know, for me, it's not only purchasing property, but when is the right time to sell and capitalize on that equity? And can you put that equity into something that makes more money? Yeah. So yeah. you just get there faster. Um, um, let me ask you this for a triple net property. Um, so I, I've never done, I've never done triple net before. And I, but I, you know, obviously we do a ton of, of uh, apartment buildings and pretty reliably we can get, I, I would say at least 30% um, of the asset price uh, depreciation with bonus depreciation after cost segregation analysis. So basically 30% personal property, 70% uh, real property. And the advantage of that is a lot of times, you know, you're, down payment is 30%, maybe a little right. bit more. You might, in our case, you know, it's like we have, we also have a lot of capital expenditures because we're value add, but what kind of experience have you had on, on that front with triple net? I'm curious, um, especially because I know you're tax focused as well. Yes. Um, I have a great um, broker and a great person that does my cost seg analysis through my broker. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it just depends on the property. So yes, I'm probably more like 75% of my down payment is mm -hmm. um, deductible. Yeah, 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 the first year. So now Biden's changing that law. So I think there's going to be um, de-escalation of that like over the next few years. But yeah, so um, probably- well, you get 100% bonus depreciation still this year. And then it goes down by 20% per year. Yeah. That's the phase out. 
So, um, well, cool. And then um, let's uh, let's shift to a little bit about the business stuff because that is, um, you know, that's a that's a very interesting space. And I'm curious, um, you know, first of all, you you mentioned I think getting 10, 11 percent cash on cash on that, and that's really good. Um, do you do you credit that a lot with the rates the way they are? Can you still do that right now? Really hard to do that now. That's why. Yeah. So you know, when I was looking in 2020, it was just there. You know, it was really easy to purchase because of the interest rates and the sales price and the cap rates at the time. So cap rates have, you know, uh, as you know, they're they've gone down since then, and so it's a little harder to make that. So my last purchase, which was I just closed in July, was a gas station. Mm-hmm. Um, so that they have three percent bump increases like every year, and there is a um, twenty year lease on the property. It's again triple net, and it was uh, wonderful for tax deduction purposes. So I was fine with that. Um, but I'm a contrarian by nature. Like I don't really go with the crowd. So if everyone's buying stocks, I'm probably not going to buy them. If everyone's buying real estate, I'm probably going to look at other mm-hmm. things to do. And so now with real estate being that it is, you know, I'm just kind of, uh, have some cash on hand, taking a step back and looking at more like businesses, like small businesses for sale, that cash flow, mm-hmm. and looking at that. I think we talked about that uh, when in our other conversation that that's kind of what my focus is going to be on in 2023, along with my syndication, you know, syndication investment. So, yeah. so continue yeah. real estate, but do a little um, more. And maybe you're just, you know, and, and part of the the other thing I think we we had talked about before was that I think you mentioned that you thought that this time that we're in right now has actually kind of been a, uh, at least from an, a price uh, perspective, a good time to buy businesses. Um, yeah. Is that is that true? I think so. Yes. I mean, just my opinion. But uh, when I started, started to buy real estate, it was a great time, right? You know, yeah. houses were sitting on the market, prices are really low. Um, there was, you know, there was not this fervor of buying real estate. You can get great deals. Rents were great. I mean, mm-hmm. what I'm seeing now with the small business space, the same thing, like small businesses that are cash flowing, uh, possibly have been worked, uh, you know, with the same owner for 15, 20, 10 years. Now they just kind of want to retire and they're sitting on the market for so many months. Um, and I feel like it's, it's a good time now to start looking at purchasing businesses. And so, uh, I look at very kind of, I call it boring businesses. So, uh, anything that oh, yeah, of- we're all about boring here, Irene, if you listen <laughs> to the show, I'm, I'm a big advocate of boring. Yes. We love boring, you know, uh, recession proof cash flowing. And, you know, again, I am still a doctor part-time, so I still have, you know, something that, you know, I'm, I'm good at that. I love seeing patients. So I don't want something that's going to take all of my energy. And, you know, so I'm looking at something that is recession proof and that I can add value, just like we would add value to a multifamily, you know, whether improve the uh, business exterior or improve it on marketing side on the internet or get it on Instagram or, you know, just kind of mobilize it and then add some value. And then in a few years, you can sell that business and, uh, you know, make a high return. So are you make, are you, are you seeing some good tax advantages there too? I mean, obviously with the service station, you get a really, there's a lot of, yeah, uh, a lot of uh, depreciation there, but in general with other kinds of businesses. Um, I think it's still real estate's number one in terms of tax, you know, saving on taxes, as you know, I mean, you could speak to any CPA, not just my opinion, but so yes, you can write off a lot of business expenses to grow the business. 
Uh, but you have phantom expenses with real estate that you have these losses, but they're not really losses. So, you know, still, I think the best tax advantage is with real estate. So I will still continue to purchase real estate. I just, I'm a little bit, you know, deals are a little bit slower now yeah. to come by and I will aggressively invest in syndications and continue to invest in syndications um, for my, you know, just for that ease of that as well. So yeah. I like the self-storage. I think, you know, I like uh, car washes. I like multifamilies, you know, all of that is good too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that I've always been a little reluctant for on businesses is I actually, you know, I, I feel a lot more comfortable starting a business from scratch, which is like completely the opposite of what you would think, but I've done it, you know, multiple times now. And so like the, the, the thing that when you have a small business um, and I'm, you know, talking about probably something with revenue 5 million or less or something like that uh, is that a lot of times the, there are, there, there's like the key people the key cogs and variables that make it all work. Right. And you know who those people are or what those, you know, those variables are when you start a business. It makes me nervous uh, buying a smaller business uh, because I don't know what those variables are. I don't know who those people are. So, you know, I've been interested in looking at businesses myself, but, you know, potentially it, larger scales so that I could avoid that. But I'm curious what your, what your experience on that part has been. Um, you know, that's for me, it's more of uh, really doing your due diligence, having the right team. So I have a, a business attorney that reviews all documents with me. I have a business broker, my CPA. So I, I have that team that's going to help me avoid any pitfalls and just like with, you know, real estate, you're looking at something like, is it in a good location? You know, uh, is it, you know, uh, am I going to be able to add value? Am I getting it a good purchase price? So you can do the same thing with small businesses. And uh, and I've never really started a business from scratch like you. So for me, it's really comfortable for me to like come into a small business, get to know the owner, get to know the employees. Um and then, and then go from there and then add value from there. So uh, my strategy this year was potentially buying like one or two or even three small businesses and running them and seeing how they do. Um, and again, I only buy for cash flow, just like some of, you know, most of my real estate, like if it's not going to cash flow and it's not going to pen out, then I wouldn't purchase it. So it has to cash flow from day one. Yeah. So I feel like that reduces the risk a little bit there. Sure. And, you know, and you do have a great point, like with big businesses, like my bankers and, you know, uh, the contacts I have in the banking industry are lending for businesses upwards of 5 million. So some people feel like this is too small, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for that, for the big banks to lend on, but you can do seller financing, you get creative. There's a lot of other ways um, you know, smaller banks like credit unions uh, can also help with uh, lending, personal loans, things like that. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. You know, like I know you've been a, sort of an advocate for taking finances into your own life, uh, into your own hands and all that. Um, tell us about some of the, I mean, if you wanted to, I know you've talked about generally sort of this um you know, the details, you know, you've been talking about triple net and businesses. Um, have you developed a overarching sort of strategy or sort of a, a, a personal philosophy to investing that is driving everything that you do? 
Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I think we all like, as you know, as a doctor, I mean, I'm super competitive, want the best, like workaholic, all of those things, you know, so I, I think what's driving me is I really want to be more successful than my parents was like the initial motivating yeah. factor. Like they were immigrants, they didn't speak English, sure. they had businesses, they had real estate, they retired at age 50, and they're super happy, right? So uh, you know, ideally, just like, you know, America's dream right there. Um, so I actually, uh, so like that, to be as successful as they were, and then just go from there was my initial motivating. And I I really do that. I accomplish that through budgeting. Uh, I really look at my finances, know where everything is going. I feel like if you're organized um, to do that, it's very, it just keeps everything on track. If you're not organized, find someone who is. Uh, and so that helps me track everything. Um, and then just having a certain idea in my mind, like what I want, what my net worth, want, what I want my net worth to be, what I want to be making passively and how, you know, once I reach that position, like, what do I want to do with that? Because as you say, it's, it's not just about finance or money. It's about quality of life, spending time with your family, um, you know, giving to charity, like other things that open up your time. And then, with a lot of doctors now in COVID, there's just such a burnout, you know, there's such a burnout from work. I, I see some other of my colleagues and it just, I really feel like education is uh, necessary, financial education for, for a lot of these uh, high income earners that are really just focusing on their profession and not really mm -hmm. focusing on their, their quality of life so much. For me, like the challenge in the physician community, I mean, it's been that they are very difficult to people to to change minds and i gave up on that long ago right like you know you look at sort of some of these communities that are out there right now that are uh you know that are a pretty traditional type of investing and they have their own mantras about you know, save 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 and live like a resident and all this stuff and it's it's hard to penetrate that have you I mean, have you made an effort in that? What's, what kind of reception do you get? Because I, I sometimes end up just getting hate mail from, oh, gosh. from people saying, I'm a devotee of the blank, blank investor, you know who I'm talking about, and, and, yeah, yeah. and, and you suck, and you're oh, whatever, and I'm like, okay, whatever, dude. So, um, so tell me about your experience there. So I'm going to be very political in my answer here, you know. I know because you know, like so, you know, I, I do listen to the blank blank investor too. I mean, I'm very I'm an advocate yeah. of financial education in general, but yeah. I love your podcast. You know this, um, big fan. Um, I think for me, it's it's just all it's just the numbers, right? It doesn't really yeah. matter. I mean, I am not a save and invest in the market and wait for my three four percent per year because to me that's like lack of control. And my experience with real estate um, has been a good one. And I think most doctors uh, are just the easiest thing for them to do is to invest in the stock market, right? Like for most, you know, it's just the easiest thing. Here's my money. You know, yes, I want a few million bucks when I retire and that's fine. But um, I think if they really started to realize like the amount of, uh, you know, like positives of real estate and it's just a fear thing, right? You have to overcome the fear of investing. So that's why starting small is important. Uh, obviously, you, the, your listeners are already, you know, accredited investors and know, you know, what they're doing here. So it's a little different. But when I speak to doctors, it's it's like gentle nudge, and I don't really try and push it on them. 
And a lot of times I get like, oh yeah, sure. I'd love to do that. And then I never hear from them again, or I give them my, you know, the contact to my broker or to my syndicator and they just never end up investing. So I think it's more of like overcoming that fear and just doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I'm not afraid of real estate because I've done it and, you know, but I I really don't have a 401k and I really don't invest in the stock market. honesty. Uh, but you know, I do like some gold, some Bitcoin, all that other stuff, but nothing, yeah, you know, sure. I, I'm not depending on that for my financial retirement. Although, um, you know, I may potentially invest in the market at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, if the market goes down by, um, you know, all of a sudden goes down by 30% or 40%. Hey, yeah. Well, oh, I- yeah. Might as well write it back I, up. I, mean, I bought during COVID for sure. Like I, everything yeah. was on sales. Like okay, yeah. let's do this. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, I was just more focusing on sort of. There's a mentality that it's just been uh, difficult, and I just decided I'm just not interested in, 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 and I think it's kind of a mutual thing at the, at this point with the uh, Demonos. So, um, um, what are you doing? I mean, you, you were on a lot of podcasts, right? I mean, you've got like yeah, a, few, a few podcasts, yeah. kind of views and, and that kind of thing. What is it that you're, what are you, what is your goal in, in doing these things and what are, you know, and what do you see down the line is sort of maybe the next step? Um, I think, you know, for me, it was just uh, continuing to educate other people. I mean, I've been, you know, my life has changed because of the books that I've read and the people that yeah. I've met and, you know, the podcasts I listened to. And I mean, the value that they provide for me was just beyond measure. So I wanted to just kind of return that. Um, yeah. And maybe there's someone out there that, you know, resonates with, you know, with me and, uh, you know, I can motivate them to do something different with yeah. their lives. You know, mm-hmm. I, I just feel like, um, you know, as a, you know, I paid, I did my due diligence. I've, I've paid my taxes. I've done all of that, you know, and if I don't have to do that legally, why would I? Uh, and so just spreading the word, continue to spread the education um, sure. is important to me. So I, I really don't get anything out of it other than personal gratification yeah. and yeah. I'm just feeling like, Hey, you know, if I change someone's life, great, you know, and it's also great to network and connect and find like-minded people that you sure. feel comfortable with, because I can talk about this at a dinner, but if no one is interested, then, you know, the conversation gets yeah. like, so, yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. You know, I totally, that's, that's why we do our, we have like a group called wealth formula network and it's, you know, it's an online community and it meets every other week. And, um, we have a Facebook group and all that kind of thing, but it's like the same concept is like, you know, if you're into this stuff, you're not going to be very popular at parties usually. You know? <laughs> so, um, so it's, it's a good place to like, sort of, you know, duck away and secretly talk about these things that you're nerding out about. Exactly. So, yeah, um, but, uh, Cool. This is, uh, well, this has been fantastic, Irene. And so where can we learn more about you and what you're doing? Do you have any, have you written, 
any books? Or- yeah, so I have some upcoming things coming. So I'm going to be on another podcast called Invest Her with Bigger Pockets, and it's just solely mm-hmm. for women investors. And they they range from really young women investors who are just starting to like more seasoned investors. So I'll be on that podcast in October, and I can give you the dates. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's like October 26. And uh, anyone can find me on healthandwealthmd at gmail.com. Same on Instagram. I am creating a course for high income earners about investing strategies and my strategy with triple nets and syndications mm-hmm. and how I use it to benefit me tax wise. You know, I carry a real estate professional status. And mm-hmm. so some people need to know what that means and what it is to be an accredited investor. You know, I also invest diversified with hard money loans and just yeah. having, you know, introducing them to my contacts that I've already vetted sure. so people could feel a little more comfortable. So, yeah. um, so that course is coming out probably by November one. Sounds so. good. Irene, thanks so much for being a Wealth Formula podcast. Thank you so much. It was uh, a pleasure. Be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. You know, it's great to hear stories like Irene's. And, you know, if you have other stories uh, of your own and you feel compelled to write me and have me read it uh, or something like that, then that would be great too. Or maybe we can go back to interviewing some of you as well. Anyway, this, uh, this event, of course, was great. Live events are great. But if you want to continue keeping in touch with each other, I would highly consider you also joining Wealth Formula Network. And that's a course, actually. And then the course kind of feeds into a online Facebook group, but also a group that uh, talks live on Zoom video every other week. And it's really, I think, a great opportunity to keep connected with like-minded people. That's it for me this week, though. This is Buck Joffrey and Wealth Formula Podcast signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.